Did you know that King Lear's favorite daughter was Cordelia? Or did you know that Sinbad met Cyclops on his third voyage? What about this one? Did you know that the Frisbee, right, was originally called the Pluto Platter? And here's a really good one. Did you know that an ostrich has a 46-foot intestine? Well, if you know these these statements, if you know this information, then you would probably be, be very good at playing the game of Trivial Pursuit. And as I think about life in America today, I cannot think of any phrase that more accurately captures the essence of the days in which we live. Trivial Pursuit. Webster defines trivial as unimportant, the insignificant, the trifling, the petty. And the great tragedy of our day is that trivial pursuit is not only a game that we can play with family and friends, you can play it, play it on your, in, in, in your home or you can play it online. There are many different options today to play. We can not only play it with our friends, but many people are playing it when it comes to their lives. Which brings me to this question. What do you really want in life? No, think about it. We are so busy in the pursuit of living that we never stop to reflect on life itself. What do we really want in life? Reach down deep. Try to answer that one question. What do you really want in life? Well, we know the world standards of desire. They're all, all, they're all okay, but they're really not, they're not the best. They include pleasure, eat, drink, and be merry, but I don't like the last part of that. We're going to die. Some say you're going to die tomorrow. I'm not sure I want to go down that path, do you? And then there's money, lots and lots of money. The more money you have, the more happier you're going to be. Not true. You know, money's kind of a neutral thing. It can be used for good, it can be used for bad. But even if you have all the money in the world, there are some things money just can't. And then what about fame? Everybody wants to be famous. And you know, I think all of us are very excited to see Peyton Manning 
finally be recognized for the great athlete he is getting inducted in the NFL, uh, what do they call it, the Hall of Fame. And in reading about that event, I, one thing really stood out to me. He, he talked about those who had influenced his life along the way. And of course, he talked about his dad, Archie Manning. He said his dad had always been his mentor. And how fitting it was that in that presentation ceremony for the Hall of Fame, he asked his dad to do the presentation. There was one other group that he said really influenced his life. And that was his alma mater, the University of Tennessee. He said this, It was there that I learned to be a man, not only on the field, but off the field. And what a compliment to that university. Fame. It's something people, many, many people desire. But let me say this. Fame is so fleeting. It doesn't last. And then there's power. Power. Power like money can be used for good or bad, but we have certainly seen over the course of the last few years that power can lead to shameful corruption and I think the saying is, is, is right. Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts how? Absolutely. One person has described the world's desires to be like cotton candy. Think about it. Think about cotton candy for a moment. It smells so good. It looks so good. It tastes so good. But the moment you put it in your mouth, it's gone. Very disappointing. That's the world's standard of desire. The Bible standard, however, is quite different from the world. Little wonder that it's misunderstood, for you see, the Bible teaches that we are to, to desire God and His righteousness. In fact, I think the psalmist captures this so well in the 40, 42nd Psalm. He says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for the living God. And that brings us to this fourth beatitude this morning. For Jesus says in this beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
for they shall be satisfied. You may recall, as you have studied the Beatitudes, there is a a natural outline in each of the Beatitudes. It it begins with, with a promise, the promise of happiness, and then it leads into the keys to that that happiness. How do we unlock that promise? And, and then finally, there is the reward of happiness. So the promise is this. Jesus said, blessed, blessed, oh, how happy. And his promise here is that Authentic happiness will come to all of those who are related to God in the person of Jesus Christ. That is the promise of God. But but what about the key to that? How do we get to that promise? How is that promise fulfilled in you and me? Well, Jesus goes on to say this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For righteousness. I think it's interesting that Jesus chooses two basic appetites. Hunger and thirst. To dramatize the drives of the human spirit, but... But for you and me, that has a rather hollow sound. For you see, not many of us are hungry, not many of us are thirsty, but, but many other people around our world know what hunger is and they know what thirst is. In fact, the people of Jesus' day living in Palestine, they lived on the very edge of life. Hunger was with them daily. I read that it was very rare, maybe once a week, they might be able to have meat for a meal. For you see, their source of existence was bread. And that's why we see so many metaphors throughout the scriptures about bread. That was indeed the staff of life. And what about thirst? Palestine's very arid. It still is today. And it was in Jesus' day. They were dependent upon creeks and wells. And, and go back and look at the Old Testament and see how many fights and, and wars occur over just a little well out there in the desert. That was the source of their existence. It was important. So what is Jesus talking about here when he uses the words hunger and thirst? Well, let me illustrate. According to an ancient story, a religious prophet met a man one day who wanted to know the the path to life. And so the prophet led this man down toward the river, and and the man assumed that he was going there simply for a a purification ceremony there in the waters. 
But suddenly the prophet grabbed the man, thrust him under the water, and held him there, and held him there, and held him there, until finally the man broke free and burst out of the water, gasping for breath. It was then that the prophet said to the man, when you thought you were drowning, what did you desire most? And the man said, air, air. The prophet responded, when you want salvation as much as you want air, then you will get it. That ancient prophet was close to the truth we find in this fourth beatitude. For you see, Jesus in this beatitude is, is challenging all of us who would be followers of Jesus Christ. This was not for everyone out there. Jesus is speaking to those who sought to follow him. And he's saying to you and me that our desire for righteousness must be so urgent and demanding that it requires us to ask, ask whether we want righteousness as much as a drowning person gasping for air, as a starving child hungering for food, as a desert traveler craving for water. In other words, Jesus is challenging each of us to understand that his way is not just for the spiritually curious or those seeking to be entertained like you're entertained in the world. Jesus' demand was absolute. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You see, it all comes back to the priorities of our lives. It's always about priorities, isn't it? Well, how do you know you're giving priority to God? Here's a simple test. If you go home today and you receive a phone call informing you that you have inherited $1 million tax-free, how are you going to decide to use that million dollars. You see, if you answer that honestly, you will know exactly where your priorities are. Jesus is very clear. 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What in the world is Jesus talking about when he uses the word righteousness? What's it mean? Well, in the scriptures you'll find it's used in three different ways. One way, it's used theologically. It describes the essential nature of God. Absolute purity. Absolute truth. Absolute justice. Absolute love. In other words, when you are craving for the righteousness of God, you are craving for you are craving for the totality of who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the totality of God. That's righteousness. Seeking after God. Well, it's used another way. It's used in a moral sense. And simply put, it's so simple. Righteousness simply means to do what is right. Not what you consider to be right, but what God considers to be right, what he gives us as a standard of righteousness, rightness. And he's given us his standard his standard of righteousness in the Bible. The Bible is our code of conduct. Not what the world tells us. The Bible tells us what our code of conduct is. The Bible is our moral compass. No other compass. The Bible is our moral compass and as long as we adhere and seek to adhere to the standards of God then Jesus is telling us we will find happiness you know it's a tragedy over the past few decades there has crept into our society another code of conduct and I think it's even infiltrated the church. That new code seems to say, anything's okay. Anything's okay if you don't get caught. And so there is, I think, this proliferation of lying and stealing and deception and che cheating throughout every strata of our society. And because of our desire for self-righteousness, to be right on our own, justified by our own goodness, love because 
we measure up in our own eyes because of our desire for self-righteousness instead of God's righteousness, we find ourselves not on the road to happiness, but on the road to frustration, failure, and self-condemnation. We find ourselves standing in the shoes of the Apostle Paul when he cried out, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? I really like the way the, uh, the living Bible paraphrases this verse. Oh, what a Oh, what a terrible predicament I'm in. Can't you identify with that? Oh, what a terrible predicament I find myself in. Who will free me from my slavery to this deadly lower nature? Thank God. Thank God it has been been done by Jesus Christ our Lord he has set me free and that brings us to the third way the word righteousness is used in scripture it's about the incarnation It's like this, the righteous God, the righteous God came himself to establish his rightness in us. For you see, on the cross of Jesus Christ, described by Isaiah the prophet as, as the righteous one, Jesus took on himself the sin of the world, your sin, my sin, the sin of all humanity, and died on that cross as a final sacrifice for our frustration, for our failures, for our self-condemnation, for our sin. What we could not do for ourselves, God did for us in his Son. And the good news is that in Jesus Christ, we are made right with God. Our relationship with God has been restored not only now, not only tomorrow, but for all eternity. And so we can say this. Oh, how happy are those who earnestly desire the things of God, for they shall be filled with the presence of God. They shall be filled 
with the presence of God. And this, this is what gives your life and my life purpose and meaning and direction. And although we can never claim to have fully arrived in our quest to be like Jesus Christ, and that is our journey, we can affirm with the Apostle Paul these words in Philippians 3.13. I do not consider that I have made it my own, But one thing, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. And so we come back to the question. What do you really want in life? Deep down, dig deep. What's there that I really want? And let me say that unless you come to know God through the person of Jesus Christ, you're never going to be happy. You're never going to be fulfilled. You're never going to be satisfied with your life. Let's pray. Our Father, in the stillness of this moment, we We seek to hear the voice of your spirit calling. Calling to receive salvation in Jesus Christ. To receive his grace, his forgiveness, his unending love. Perhaps God is calling you to a specific ministry. Maybe he's laid it on your heart to serve within this church or to minister to those outside these walls and around the world. I pray that they would, they would heed your call. And Father, there are others here visiting with us, have been a part of our worship experience, and we give thanks for them, but 
But we would pray today that if they heed your call to come and and partner with us in this congregation as we worship, as we serve, as we witness in our community and around the world, it is my prayer that they would hear clearly your call and respond this day. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing a hymn of commitment, a hymn of recommitment, and a hymn of salvation. So we stand, we sing, and you come as God is calling you. <laughs>